Hello and welcome to the CBGS podcast brought to you by Aspen Weight Group. Aspen Weight. Aspen Weight. And the reason I say uh, group <laughs> is because today we're going to be talking about company structures. Oh, very so, good. Drew. So very yeah, good. yeah, we have an interesting episode for you. So yes, I'm here with Mr. Paul Waite, CEO of um, Aspen Weight Group. <laughs> and, um, it's not funny, Drew. <laughs> How are you, sir? You all right? A bit tired today, Drew. Yeah, tired. I, I believe you got back at um, around 1am last <laughs> night. From a, from yeah, a... so um, Tira and I um, did a presentation to SEMA in Charing Cross, London, uh, yesterday evening, mm. which finished at about quarter to nine. So then we uh, had to speed in a taxi to Paddington and caught the 9.45. Oh, wow. So uh, hence uh, the zombie-like appearance mm-hmm. this morning. Looking were... very smart, sir. And as uh, we're getting a bit of video today as well, I think the... the I'm, I'm big in that. pink, as you know. Oh, yeah. So Drew's picked a hell of a subject today, so let's see how we get on. Yeah, so um, we're going to be talking about uh, group structures in business, uh, parent companies, subsidiary companies, what would be the benefit of structuring your, your company in a certain way. Okay. Um, and, um, yeah, like why, why, you, why you would do it in the first place, why it's not just mm. one, one limited company that you have, or yeah. uh, which some people will do. Um, okay. But so we'll start with with the watts a little watts. bit of the a bit bit of the watts and like so um, I know a, a common structure but people would say a, a group so you'd get you would get a group structure right so, so um, what would you what would you class as a group or how would you describe that right so so group is legally defined right so um, in order for there to group to be, <laughs> that's good in order for there to be a group even. <laughs> Uh, there has to be so the minimum is to have two companies obviously right so you have um, uh, a holding company right so the company that owns the other company okay uh, and as long as it owns more than 51% of it uh, that creates what's called a group structure ah okay if it um, if it owns 75% or more of it it then creates a tax group oh so obviously there's often a difference between tax law and company law for instance so um uh, just, 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 just for the benefit of uh, training uh, on this, because I, I expect some of the some people listen to this podcast, obviously uh, for educational and CPD reasons. So, um, probably the two main things to think about in a group is 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 a, is a company can be an associate of another, right? Or it can be a subsidiary. Mm. Turning it around, the top company can obviously be uh, either a holding company uh, or have shares in an associate. So, an associate company is one where you have. Significant interest, significant influence, but not enough to control. Okay, that makes sense. So, so not back twenty percent. Oh yeah, so less than fifty. Yeah, if you had more than fifty, you, you would normally have control, wouldn't yeah. you? <laughs> you can sometimes have control, uh, have effective control for tax reasons at less than fifty. Oh, okay. But that's probably a bit convoluted for today's. Mm-hmm. Just, just listeners, just know that's true. <laughs> so it's possible the tax man may consider you to control somebody else, even though you don't own fifty percent or more of the shares. Mm. Would that be, it, say, if you owned like like forty, and then there was like three other people owning ten? Well, no, no, it's all to do with things like loans. Oh, okay. So if, if if the company owed you and it was basically dependent upon you and you had significant influence over it by that, ah, then okay. things like that can can change the, uh, the position that seems clear and obvious to you. So yeah, uh, so group is is uh, is nothing other than that. Um, so I think that's probably enough for answering your question because I'm sure we've got lots of lots of other things about why people do that in the first place. Yeah. So and and um, when you, when you say a holding company, would that be the same as a parent company? Yes. Oh, okay. Cool. So that's just like the the, the top of the. The structure, similar kind of term. Because I know it's just, it's just a different word, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, why why would um, why would companies think about um, structuring their their businesses in this way in the first place? So, like, what what could the, be the benefits of a, of a group structure? Of a group structure. So, um, probably the main reason that people are attracted by a holding company, trading company, or trading companies mm-hmm. structure is to do with risk okay uh, so I'd say the most over over my uh, 25 and a half years of running Aspen Weight now that by far the single biggest reason that people want to have a holding company is protection okay so if I explain what, why that is so, so so for instance if um, so if if you just have one company and let's just say um, this is a very real example actually this is a, a reason why someone did it once Say you had a construction company and one of your employees ran over 
another employee with his digger or something. Right. <laughs> then let's just say that wasn't an insured incident. <laughs> then the company could get wiped out through no for no trading reason. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. If I have got a client who did that, uh, well, he actually didn't kill the person, but he broke. He was unlicensed. He was he was licensed to drive a forklift, I think it was, and he broke the other bloke's pelvis in seven Ooh, places cranky. or something. And so, um, but not, but normally it's just it's just it's, it's not it's not quite as bad as you know. It tends to be just fear of um, a downturn, and so what people do to to to, to stop that is they have the trading company uh, sitting below, right. And so, so let's, let's let's now assume we're talking now about best advice. So I'm their accountant, so I'm telling mm-hmm. them what to do, right? So in that scenario, um, I would advise uh, what I call all the sexy and important assets hmm. to go to the top company, right? So that would be all the intellectual property, patents, trademarks, all that sort of stuff, all the really important fixed assets that are crucial to the ongoing survival of the group, probably. Uh, the employment of all the directors mm-hmm. and possibly head office staff and the, and then probably you might have things like insurances and stuff like that in there uh, and then so you'd have the holding company effectively doing the management managing you see what I mean right yeah uh, and it would probably raise management charges to the holding com- to the subsidiary company to reflect the the, the use of the machinery and uh, its its directors and workers. Mm, okay. And so, and so, uh, what, what people might think. So, if if the trading company then was to go bust, uh, the holding company doesn't go down with it. Okay. Yeah. So, all your assets and everything that's really important to the business, so um, is 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 safe. Yeah. So, just to be clear on this, um, th- that that is the case in law. It doesn't mean to say that the holding company may may the holding company may be vulnerable. Mm-hmm to the trading company's collapse, but that would only be if the holding company or its directors had given, say, guarantees to HP companies or something, you know? Mm. So, um, but the, 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 the basis in law is, so a lot of people would think that in a group situation, if one of the group companies went down, the parent was responsible for it, but it isn't. Mm. In law, it's not, it's just... So the trading company could fold, uh, that company would stop, uh, and then they, the, the directors could start off tomorrow, mm. <laughs> trading as Phoenix ABC Company, you know, and off oh, we go. Wow. Happy, happy days. The other reason why um, people um, create group structures. So, in a tax group, as we were discussing earlier, um, profit and losses, taxable profits and losses, can be shared across the group. Right. So, if you had one company that made a profit of a million pounds and another company made a loss of five hundred thousand pounds, you could transfer the loss to the Oh, across so the company with a million pound profit would now only have a five hundred thousand pound profit. Mm. Okay. And, and, and that was a tax group. Yeah, um, more than seventy five percent. Ah, that was it. Cool. Um, and are, are the the laws are, the laws are different for for say a tax group than um, what would another group? What would the other? What well, if it's less than seventy five percent, you wouldn't be able to do that. Uh, okay. Simple as that. All right. Okay. Um, and the the assets are still all protected in both situations if they're held in the holding company. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The other thing that you can do inside a group is you can transfer capital assets free from tax, oh. freely between between companies. Mm. Oh wow! And um, so what would what would the difference say between um, be between like a subsidiary company and an associate company? Is that um, how, what? Well, so every company is one that's controlled by another, and an associate is one where the other company just has influence over it. Ah, yeah. Okay. Um, so, talking about um, the Aspen Weight uh, company structure. Um, yes, which is rather interesting. <laughs> I know. Um, so, going back to the start, like when when you would uh, first start thinking about this, I'm wondering if uh, when you when you created Aspen Weight, whether you had them. Uh, a, a company structure in mind or you started off with one company and then this was something that you further down the line you you kind of um just wondering if you could take us through that journey and well so um i guess um i would be one of the few people in the country that you could have a discussion with about just about anything <laughs> seriously um I, I i do have notable weaknesses they're probably things like payroll and vat and cis and things like that uh, what I would consider myself to be an expert in is, is I would say I was a corporate expert. Mm-hmm. 
So that's what I'd say. If you said to me what I was, you know, I really had to you know, cut you down to it. I'd say I was a corporate advisor. And that, that's been the case for a very long time. So when I started Aspen Way, I didn't, it wasn't, I didn't have to sit there and think about it because I know instinctively what to do. Mm-hmm. If I was sat down with you now, I wouldn't have to go look at the book. I'd just say, right, this is what we're going to do. So yeah. Aspen Way actually started off life as a sole trader, mm-hmm. not a company at all. Oh, wow. So Aspen Way started as Paul Weight trading as Aspen Weight. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it continued such, and then it became a partnership, i.e. Uh, a group of people trading together, self-employed, uh, not in a company. And effectively, I suppose, so in those days in particular, uh, there, were, there were good reasons for trading as a partnership. Those reasons have largely disappeared. Just for So any of you who are not trading as a limited company, you probably should be. So if you want um, to give me a ring and, and let me uh, point out to you the error of your ways, I'll be mm-hmm. very glad to talk to you. Um, so... Uh, the basic rule of tax planning, sorry, the basic rule of tax planning, uh, certainly uh, when I started, was that uh, the sort of golden rule, if you had to say, was that you would have a partnership or a sole trader business and you would want that to make a profit, probably at least equivalent to your drawings, mm-hmm. i.e., the amount of money you need to live on. Okay? Very important I say that because this is a subject that's very badly understood, especially by accountants as well. So there is not a golden rule, and, and it's very important. So that's why I chose my words very carefully. It is it's it is very important that, that that people understand it's the amount of money they need to live on, which is the acid test. Okay, not not anything that, that not taxable. And the reason for that is, if you need a hundred thousand pounds to live on, then obviously you need a profit of hundred thousand pounds. And the reason I say that is the buzzword here is sheltering. So this is what I did. So basically, I I traded as Aspen Way Partnership. Uh, until such time as the level of profit was such that it was higher than I needed to live on. Right, okay. What happens then is you'll be aware, we're going to sneeze this. Is. <laughs> <laughs> Can we stop this? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so um, the, top, the top rate of tax at the moment is 45%. So, for instance, uh, if you were going to make an extra £10,000 of profit, say, mm-hmm. as a sole trader, that would be £4,500 of tax, wouldn't it? Mm. What's the corporation tax rate at the moment? Do you know? Twenty percent. Nineteen percent. Right? Mm-hmm. So, so um, you can see that forty-five percent is twenty-six percent more than nineteen percent, can't you? Mm-hmm. Hence the word sheltering. So basically, what you do is you 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 take you have your partnership or sole trader. So say I need eighty grand to live on. Mm-hmm. So I have a profit of eighty grand. Once I get over eighty grand, right? And obviously, if it was eighty-three, it wouldn't be worth doing it. So mm-hmm. when you get to a point where you think that your profit is going to be say more than twenty grand, more than that, and, it's, and your and your profits are rising. You then form a limited company, mm. and obviously, so in, in this case, let's say that you were making hundred grand, that twenty thousand pounds of extra profit instead of paying nine thousand pounds of tax, you're only going to pay three thousand eight hundred pounds of tax. Mm. Do you mm. see? Mm-hmm. So that's 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 why you do that. So so that's what Aspen Weight did. So Aspen Weight started as a, as a sole trader, became a partnership. There is still a partnership today. Why is that? You ask mm. yourself. Mm. Um, one of the reasons we have a partnership, apart from the fact that there are still two people who that's all they do, if you see what I mean. They, they are partners and they aren't involved in any other Aspen Weight business. Mm-hmm. Sole trader businesses are a much more effective way of holding vehicles. Oh, okay. So in an unincorporated business, uh, because in law, the part, there is no legal person called the partnership. Right. So uh, when I started off as Paul Weight trading as Aspen Weight, Paul Waite trading as Aspen Waite was Paul Waite. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Just one legal person. Mm-hmm. There isn't two separate legal people. Mm-hmm. Aspen Waite Limited is a different person to me. Yeah. In law. Mm-hmm. It's, very, it's very important people understand that. It's something that people don't really get very well, particularly uh, directors and shareholders, because they, they can get confused about their responsibilities. Mm-hmm. So that's it's a separate basic. legal entity from you. Partnership is not a separate legal entity, and a limited company is a separate legal entity. So started out as a partnership, formed uh, a limited company, and then obviously, as we've grown, we've just formed more limited companies. Mm. In our case, I would say um, we've got what you would call a loose group. A loose group? Yes, that's, that's, I think it's the buzzword. So uh, we've defined what a company law group and a tax group is. Mm-hmm. So a loose group is, there are a number of companies called Aspen Weight something, mm-hmm. but they're not all owned by the same people. Right, okay. They're, they're subject to common influence, because they're all called Aspen Weight, 
and they all clients all think they're talking to Aspenweight and they go to the Aspenweight website but actually the ownership isn't the same mm. so they're not in a tax group they're under what you would call to some extent common control or what I would call a loose group mm. so technically for instance I'm, I personally don't control Asper Marketing oh okay mm. you know I, I, I'm not able to legally control Asper Marketing so Asper Marketing is not in the same tax group as Aspen Weight Limited Mm, you see, mm, mm. so um, you know, and, and, and so effectively, uh, as everyone knows, my favourite word is depends. So, yeah. how you decide to grow and structure is 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 very dependent upon the circumstances of your own business. Mm. So, for instance, if you had if you had nothing to protect, there'd be no point having a holding company, would there? Yeah, you know. Uh, so, uh, so is that a good enough answer, old boy? Yeah, that's that, that's amazing, um, and and. Uh, uh, I'm still thinking of this uh, the holding company so I would think of a, um, a you say it could be known as a parent company as well mm-hmm. um, so it's nothing to do with like what's what just where you're holding your so well it would be just where you're holding your assets it's not say where you're um, yeah just, just defining a, a holding company like you said there'd no be no point having a holding company but I thought your holding company would just be the company that's at the top of the group structure yeah, it's got to have a reason isn't it mm. so I mean, if it wasn't a holding company what, what would it be just an, a normal no no you know, say you only no, had no, what one. I'm saying is if you didn't have any assets there'd be no point having a company to protect it would there that's all I was saying ah okay <laughs> very very random bit of dialogue from Mr Armstrong there I thought <laughs> Yes, so... Um, oh, he's getting stumped now. He doesn't know what questions to ask. Yeah, I, I've, got, I've got some about, um, about international companies. Okay. So, so, so yeah, so um, we're, we've obviously worked with a lot of different clients with different situations. Um, so your experience of setting up international companies, does it differ what the implications for like tax purposes and um, that kind of thing? It's interesting this because in my presentation to SEMA last night, one of it's probably about fifty people in the room, and uh, one of the questions I was asked afterwards was um, was, that, was to do with that international groups, mm. and um, it was obviously R and D tax credit related. Right. Okay, um, but it's nonetheless relevant. So, um, so uh, I assume for the benefit of your question that we're talking about say a UK company um, that either has foreign interests mm. or the foreign interest has a UK presence is that fair to say yeah so um, let's take um, the first one first so we're a UK group and we want so for instance we've got a company in China mm-hmm. it's called a Wafi. I can't remember what was, I can't remember what it means now but so we've got a proper Chinese company it's called a WOFE or a Wafi. Um, and it's actually, I think, the requirement in Chinese law is it has to be owned more than fifty percent by a Chinese person. Oh, okay. Um, so, um, obviously, so if you look at you know huge companies, Philips, um, BP, uh, you know huge international conglomerates, uh, you, you, would, you might have um, you might have a, a huge group that has twenty countries represented. You know. Mm. So the basic rule is uh, you'd have the holding company, obviously, in the main jurisdiction. So let's say for our, our purposes, it's the United Kingdom. So uh, effectively, uh, the basic rule is that uh, each company pays its corporation tax in the country it's resident. Right, okay. So if you had a, an American subsidiary, you would pay US tax. Mm. Okay. Um. And then probably one of the things we might want to talk about without getting too heavy about it today, one of the things you have to worry about, one of the issues that's very relevant for HMRC purposes inside groups is what's called transfer pricing. Right. So the revenue want to ensure that uh, transactions between companies in a group are carried out at the fair value. Right, okay. They don't like to see what's called profit shifting. Ah, okay. Particularly... Particularly if it was considered to create an advantage. Mm. So, for instance, if you had a Japanese company, and I don't know what the rate is, I can't remember. 
say the Japanese corporation tax rate was 10% higher than ours, mm -hmm. and so we were motivated to reduce the Japanese profit uh, to boost the UK one, then it, it, I remember actually, uh, you know, my largest client ever really in terms of um, responsibility and fees was the Lovell Group. And in fact, I, I remember sustained correspondence with them revenue about uh, level of charges on shipping mm. because we had um, a Japanese 50-50 partner in the shipping business. Mm. So revenue were very much looking to see how they invoice for their mm. for their for their for their time, etc. You know. Mm. So the basic rule is each company pays taxes in their own part. In terms of things like um, you know trying to be relevant here, so the thing I was talking about last night in particular was. It's very important that international groups consider the optimal tax structure and you know uh, the optimal cash flow point. So, for instance, as I was saying, Germany, for instance, has no R and D tax credits right. as a country. So, um, if you had an international group, it would be very foolish to have your R and D centre in Berlin. <laughs> if you did have some R and D going on in Berlin, and you had say a UK parent mm -hmm. then uh, I, this is something I a discussion I have with clients all the time you know I say all the time probably every three months or something mm -hmm. you know so we don't have lots of international clients uh, so I would be saying there in that situation I would tell them you know what was going on and we, we would either um, raise charges from Berlin to the UK so the effect of the R&D costs got into the UK mm -hmm. or I would encourage them to actively make the UK, the R and D centre in the first place. Mm. Do you see? Mm. Because it's it, because it's it's optimal for the group to do that, isn't it? Mm. So it's basically setting setting up things in in the way that's going to be most most efficient for that for that group, tax wise, um, profit wise. And well, I mean, ultimately, uh, business business should never be dictated to by tax or cash. But the business decisions should ultimately be commercial ones, mm -hmm. which are influenced by a number of factors. That's my personal view. Ah, okay. Mm. So you, you you have to you have to so sorry you wouldn't you wouldn't set up a, a subsidiary in Australia unless you'd intended to sell to Australia, would you? Mm -hmm. Well, there might be another reason. Maybe that um, you might use Australia as your hub to sell into the Pacific, mm. you, or something. You see what I mean? There's so many variables <laughs> for, for, for what would be... Well, that's why it depends is always the right answer yeah. because every company and every situation should be looked at on its own merits. Yeah. There is no formulaic, blinkered, one solution suits all thing. Mm, and that's it. And then that's why I think it's really important to say, um, you know, speak to your advisor, speak to your accountant to, to think about the best way that you can structure your, um, structure your companies because... Um, a lot of a lot of um, businesses can get themselves into trouble maybe by just by just making the wrong decisions about how they have um, their company structured like with the shares and everything so it's it's really um, you know who owns what and um, it's really important to get some top quality advice from people who know what they're talking about like you Paul <laughs> yeah I mean, I mean uh, you know actually, unfortunately there are not that many people around who I would think would be able to give good advice to a client, you know, about an international group, for instance. Mm, mm. Um, and in fact, you know, just a, a little story. I, uh, what, what's quite ironic is um, when I picked up the accounts, uh, the, the business of Mark Lovell, um, I'm not going to embarrass them on, on the air, but uh, there was another company in Somerset who at the time, um, and possibly at a time where... I don't know, probably three times bigger than Aspen Wake where I don't know, you know, certainly bigger. Mm. And um, they told him they didn't want to act for him anymore because his, his affairs were too complex. Mm. Mm. He went to see them so long to set up this international shipping company and do this, and they said, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. We're out. Yeah. Too I, on the other hand, you know. Let's go. Like, yeah, wait, <laughs> yeah, bring it on. <laughs> so um, think about some kind of like, are there any common mistakes that people um, generally make or, or, or think in... In when, when they are structuring their companies or something that you see clients the way that, that um, just wondering if there's any, any kind of common themes or, or like, yeah, which, um, which you've seen. Mm, that's, a, that's an interesting question. I mean, one of the things probably to point out, we're, we were discussing earlier um, about the attractiveness of protecting assets yeah. in the holding company. Clearly, if 
which is normally the case. The trading company, for instance, has been trading for a period of time, mm-hmm. and it's got higher purchase agreements, for instance. The higher purchase agreement will be in the name of the trading company. Right. So technically, in order to properly achieve what you want to, you have to what's called novate the contracts. Right. Good word, isn't it? Novation. Novation. So that means you basically ask the finance company to transfer the HP agreement to the parent. Ah, okay. If you don't do that, then those assets are still at risk. Do you see? Mm-hmm. So that would be a, a nice, a nice one, one, one to come, come across a lot. So that would be a good one. Mm. Obviously, um, I mean, basically what needs to happen is uh, people need to look at their structures, um, things, you know, look, look to see what their personal risk is, look to see what guarantees they've given, be aware of them, personal and corporate. Um, and I guess, you know, the thing is, be well advised. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure there's any... Um, I think probably, uh, if I had to say something, people can tend to err on the side of overcomplication. Right, okay. I'm a great believer in trying to keep things simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I'm, I myself uh, am in danger of being a hypocrite here because... <laughs> uh, I, I, and, and I think one of the things you should also... Um, always do as a business person or as a person in life is, is sometimes just say I got it wrong mm, you know mm. what I was going to do I realised about two months ago that I was creating this increasingly large myriad of Aspen weight companies um, and, and, and actually the, I was thinking poor old Julie Oxbury better than better than Bisto by the way um, you know she was having to deal with more you know, set up a stage for this set up a stage for that and I realised that actually I was breaking my own law. Mm. You know, I was setting up businesses for no particularly good reason. So um, just kick the camera there, people. There That's we are. all right. Um, so what, I think what would be what would be what would have been your main reasoning for that uh, of like a, of, of of say one wanting to do that was it the idea that there could be these? Um... Well, I think I think people. You know, if you just, it's not just me. As I say, I, you know, I was saying people on the whole tend to overcomplicate things. Mm. So I think, as a generalisation, um, if people are going to start up something new, mm-hmm. uh, there's there's often a thought well that has to be in a separate company, but it doesn't, does right. it? You know, so I might say something it doesn't. You don't need to have a separate company. You can have a separate cost centre. Mm. So inside a company, well, different activities are what I would call cost centres. Right. Is that something that's obvious to you? What a cost centre means? Uh, no. <laughs> no, that's good so um so for instance um you might have um a company that has five separate divisions right five separate clear products say mm-hmm. so if you apartments want apartments or like or sorry say like no a, i mean different things it sells it might be light bulbs yeah, um, yeah i'm kind of thinking say like marketing or something like that like I know we've got a separate marketing company, but say another company. No, I'm talking about. I'm thinking now at the moment. I'm talking about different products or something. You know, physical products or services yeah. that are different. You know, so you might sell IT accountancy and intellectual property and so, marketing. And marketing. All right then. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah that, all right. He got that one in. So and he's just dropped his notes. Uh, um, so uh, you could you could have Asperate marketing, Asperate IT, couldn't you, and so on and so forth. Mm. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, but why not instead just have Aspen Weight and then have uh, a nominal code? So in your accounts, you have uh, a department which is accountancy, and you have a department which is marketing. When and you then, say nominal codes, is that a way of legally breaking down? No, in, the, in your, so uh, if you heard of Sage or QuickBooks yeah. or Zero, yeah. uh, so effectively, um, so say say you um, say that we uh, spend a thousand pounds on. Delivering something to something, so it's a trend. so obviously that invoice oh, yeah, gets posted to our accounts, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. So if that was the only transaction that happened in the year, when you run off what's called the trial balance, which is the sum- summary of all the transactions in the year, mm-hmm. in in distribution costs, it would say a thousand pounds. Okay. So what I'm saying is is that so obviously if you have a separate company, everything is clear because yeah. you, you you know exactly what the marketing company's costs are because it's in the own company. Mm-hmm. But as long as you create, so for instance, if you, if you were to turn around and say, right, um, so uh, sales code starts um, four thousand, I think, in Sage, for instance. So you might have, um, you might tell Sage that codes four thousand to four thousand one hundred were accountancy, mm-hmm. 
4,101 to 4,200 were marketing. So as long as that's clearly d- defined those areas, then you'll be able to break so things down. So then I, as the owner, can still. actually see which of my d- yeah. divisions is doing. Yeah. I don't need to have a separate company to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's always, I think, uh, uh, there's a balance between uh, adequate management information to enable you to make good decisions and overcomplicating a business. That's, that's probably what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, having uh, and of course you've got administrative burden because if you've got five companies, you've got to do five sets of accounts. Yeah, haven't you? Yeah, five probably five VAT returns, five payrolls. Mm, mm. Yes, yeah, so there's a lot, of, lot to think about. <laughs> yeah, very <laughs> good. Truth of how to how to how to structure it and what's yeah, don't you don't want to burden yourself with too much um, unnecessarily sometimes. So I don't know. I don't know whether you have any other questions you've got. So obviously, uh... um, I had a, I had a questions about um, I, say like setting up um, companies say within like Ireland or, or something like that. Like it's got lower ta- lower corporation taxes, twelve and a half percent. Yeah. So what are your kind of views on that? Is that been a sort of? Um... That's a good question. Actually, I would say over my lifetime there would be certain questions I get asked over and over again. Yeah. Um, some which I find a bit irritating. This oh. will be one of them. Actually. Oh. <laughs> no, I'm not saying you're. Sorry. I'm not saying that you're irritating. I'm just saying. I'm just saying to you. So probably, if I had ten quid for every time someone said to me um, they wanted to set up an offshore company or something, yeah. or yeah. that sort of thing, and um, and actually, genuinely, uh, uh, although I am a creative accountant and I put my foot on the line, I, I'm uh, hugely against what I would call artificial tax. Avoidance schemes, right? Okay. Um, so uh, you know, I've never been one for these. You know, investing in wine and gold and all that sort of rubbish things. Mm. In fact, I came across a client the other day that had lost a lot of money um, on, on, on such a, an avoidance scheme, which had gone wrong. The revenue had closed it down, and it cost them a couple of hundred grand. You know. Um, so I think you know the point is is that. Uh, so, for instance, you know, if you had a company that was making a hundred thousand pound of profit, and, he, and the guy starts talking about going offshore, it's like, oh, come on, get a life, you know. <laughs> we talk about nineteen grand a tax here, mate, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I think you know, it comes back to the thing about depends. There has to be for me, for me to even think about going offshore or considering. So, what you're talking about is sheltering again, isn't it? Mm-hmm. If you go back to the famous word that we talked about earlier, sheltering. So in the UK you pay tax at nineteen percent, but in Ireland you pay tax at twelve and a half percent, six and a half percent. You know, mm. um, so I would suggest that probably I don't know. I mean, even on a million pounds, that's sixty-five grand. Mm. Let's put it in perspective. You know, mm. so how much is it going to cost to set up a company in Ireland and run it? Mm. A bit, isn't it? Mm. Probably not sixty-five grand necessarily, but a bit. Mm. So I think it's important that people get things into perspective, and I think there has to be. I personally think, as well as it as there being a, a, a big enough incentive to do it, there probably ought to be some sort of good commercial reason for doing it. Mm. So, for instance, you know, I'll give you an example of what I mean by that. Um, a company or a group's affairs are such, say it's an international company, and it doesn't really matter where, where it is. Do you, do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Amazon might be a good example. Mm-hmm. Amazon uh, or Google, or Google might be. A, let's, let's stick with Google. So, probably Google is used in a hundred countries. I don't know more. Probably all of them that have the internet. I would have thought. Well, block China. Oh, okay. Yes. I know. I know it's not in China. Yeah. It's it's banned, isn't it? Oh, is it? Oh, I yeah. think so. Yeah. Yeah. And probably North Korea. Mm. Would be, so, the Western world yeah. and civilized yeah. countries would would all use Google. I would imagine. Yeah. Everyone is allowed to choose to. So, if you were Google. <laughs> Um, you're a global company, aren't you? Mm-hmm. So you're selling to hundreds of countries. So it doesn't really matter where you are, does it? Mm-hmm. So if you were Google, then I would say having a very vibrant conversation about group international structure would be incredibly relevant. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, if you look at um, probably one of the things that annoys the media and people the most, it's people like Starbucks and Costa Coffee and Google mm-hmm. and Microsoft, these sort of people, Sorry, but I might be wrong with Microsoft. So I do apologise to Microsoft for saying that. I'm not sure you do try to avoid tax, um, but there's a lot of there's a lot of talk, isn't there, about Costas and Starbucks and that sort of thing, mm. uh, and Amazon, I think, um, setting up. So, for instance, Ireland is you, know, you picked a good say Ireland is rife 
there are a huge number of international com- companies that set up in Ireland because the Irish incentivize people to do that. Mm-hmm. And, and I think my view would be, well, if you can do it, you can get away with it and it makes sense, then why not? Mm-hmm. But I don't think you should do it for an artificial reason. Is that, mm-hmm. is that clear? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's got, it's got to be... It's got so if I want to sell Aspen Witch Services all through Europe, yeah. then having an Irish company is not any different than having a British one, really, is it? Mm, mm. But if actually all my customers are in the UK, then why, what's the bloody point? Yeah, no, nah, that's it. Is it you're not, you're not going to save enough on unless it is, like, massive... Well, like well the other thing as well... Well, the other thing is, you know, you've got the, what you call the compliance side. Yeah. And obviously one of the things that a lot of people take very seriously is they want to be safe. Mm-hmm. So there's a fine line between tax planning and structuring your affairs in such a way that you are going above the radar. Mm-hmm. So I've already said HMRC are sensitive to certain issues, so yeah. things like transfer pricing, as I said, transactions between different countries, etc. So be uh, smart. <laughs> well, that's the thing is, so this, this is very important. This so if, for instance, um, let's say we've got cu- customers in Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, if if we have uh, a company in Dublin and the transactional route is simply Dublin transacts with Berlin, there is no transaction inside the UK. Therefore, where the, where the origin of the company is is irrelevant to the UK tax authority, isn't it? Mm. If, however, what the person did was a contrivance, do you, do you understand what I mean by that? It's, it's artificial, in other words. Yeah. It's a contrived scheme. It's not natural. Mm-hmm. So actually what we're doing is we actually need it to come out of London, but we're sort of rooting it via Dublin to go to Germany. Mm. Then that might arouse the interest of the HMRC, mm. you see? Mm. So I think yeah. if people have legitimate international business, then such as okay. I described, then that's fine. But don't, <laughs> don't, not, don't, try. Don't, don't try. And obviously, um, one has, I think people have to accept, and it's amazing that people don't, it seems to me, you know, if you are going to start going down the route of offshore, etc., I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, and there are lots of very, very reputable and brilliant offshore tax advisors, but obviously you are increasing your risk portfolio. Mm. So that, Having a brilliant advisor and being certain of your ground is important. Mm-hmm. And that is a massive element of it, like the, the risk. Like, like how, how, do you, how do you feel about that? You know, not you, how do you feel about that? I'm saying, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, that is a, that's an important consideration when advising. It's not just what it is on paper, what the money is. It's it's you know the bigger picture. So look at the bigger picture. Bigger picture, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think I think basically um, uh, this is an area, by the way, that is done very badly on the whole. So we've got a new brilliant client in London. And I won't embarrass him today. Um, who, who was very upset about historic advice, or rather no advice, because um, he's got um, a range of business interests, uh, a rapidly growing world, you know, he's got s- s- significant influence. Uh, his wife also has uh, a company or companies, and uh, his world in the past has, because of the lack of advice, there has been no ability for the, the two, the husband and the wife, to work together efficiently Mm-hmm. to use up both their allowances, etc., to transfer losses between their companies to suit. Um, he hasn't had any protection of his key assets. Wow. He's got different companies. No one's ever bothered to tell him whether he should or shouldn't have a holding company and all mm. that sort of thing, you know. So, um, you know, I think uh, having a sort of a corporate organiser- organisational structural review, um, if you haven't already got one, is, is quite a... You know, I think everyone should basically sit down with someone like me and say, "This is what I've got. Is that the right place? Is that is that is that is that the best thing for me?" Yeah. You know, um, you know, if we're going to talk about structures, so for instance, um, give you a good example. Um, through our R and D work in particular, we come across a lot of charities, mm-hmm. um, and I can think of one charity in particular that spends millions of pounds on research and development, uh, but we can't do anything about it because it's not rooted through a qualifying vehicle. Right, okay. So what's happened there is this charity, and this is, this is true of many organisations, uh, so this charity has set up uh, or, or got into a structure with no one ever giving any regard to whether that was the appropriate structure for them. Mm, Whereas if I was doing it, I would have said, right, you know, stick a charity over there. We're doing a lot of R&D work, but that needs to be in a separate company. How's that all going to work? 
how, how, you know, mm. how's it going to work? How do we sort it out? Blah, and blah, is blah. this is this something that can be changed? Oh, that was another one. Like corporate yeah. structures that that you have. Um, it, is it something that you can change? Um, like a, a, after the rules set up, say um, with with shareholdings, and you've got your group structure, and you're saying you would do it differently. Is there a way that you can change the, the well, structure? Change, can't you? Yeah. So something like that would that not be a possibility for them to actually yeah, restructure so we, it so they could put all the R and D? Yes, I often there. I often you know say Jono, Jono would say to me I've met a charity today blah 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 and I'd have an email and I'd say look you know um, in your current situation you can't claim R and D tax credits you know what what you ought to consider is having a separate new company uh, yeah. that does your R and D etc. This is how that might work. This is what it looks like. You know, mm-hmm. you can always change everything. Obviously, how so. Uh, so the technical answer to your question is, of course, you can always change anything at any time. Mm-hmm. What the what the relevance of that would be is how difficult it is to do that, or how practicable. Mm. So it may be that the cost um, involved in. Well, uh, yeah, the cost involved, but also the, 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 the perhaps the legal difficulty. Mm-hmm. You know, and if 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 um, say if you set up a structure with sorts of inappropriate shareholdings, mm-hmm. and it's got so big and the tax implications or messing around with it are so great, then that might become prohibitive, mightn't it? Mm-hmm. But you can actually do it, but it's, um, it's yeah. It, you can it, do it, yeah. but you have to assess what the implications of that. So you have to say, right, I want to change my structure. Are there any tax, yeah, well, are, are there going to be tax, any tax implications of doing so? Almost certainly, yes. What are they? Mm. How, how can I mitigate those? Can I avoid them? Can I reduce them? You know, and then you make your decision on an informed basis, don't you? Mm. Yeah. So, so have have that discussion with uh, with with, uh, with advisors because you can always improve something or do something better as well, or streamline something so it's more efficient. Yeah. So, mm. The other reason, yeah, um, the other reason why um, it's important to be able to identify. Um, clearly, the profits of say different divisions, uh, and, and and it may well be that you know this reason and many others may be one that ones that lead uh, to a decision that having separate companies is the best way. But for instance, um, let's say um, let's say that the marketing side of Aspen Weight was even bigger than it is, which I want it to be, as you know. So let's say. Um, just, 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 just the rules of this game, and what I'm saying is true. Don't worry about how I prove it or not. Mm-hmm. Let's just say that we've got a marketing, uh, a strong marketing part of Aspen Weight, and uh, it makes a contribution of half a million pounds to Aspen Weight's group profits every year. So, the people responsible for that in the marketing department might be, it might be a good idea to give them a share, mightn't it, mm. of that success? Mm. But if you don't know what the number is, how can you give it to them? Mm. Do you see what I mean? Mm. So you, you may not want Ross Curry to have ten percent of all of it, but you'd like to, him to have a decent share of what he's created. Mm. So you know the marketing people have created half a million pounds. Aspen Waits made a profit of two million pounds, but you don't want them to have part of the two million pounds. Do you see what I mean? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's, there's all sorts of reasons why, uh, and of course the, the single biggest reason why um, you need to have a structure. So I guess, you know, sort of trying to bring this discussion to a close, which is vast, actually. Uh, we've probably gone for hours talking about mm. structures. And I'm sure there are loads of things I've forgotten. Mm. Um, There's always oh, another podcast. I've thought of a few things. So I think, um, so I think the, the thing to bear in mind is everybody should look at their own situation and decide uh, what is best for them. If you're listening to this and you're a partnership or a sole trader... You probably don't want to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're excluding yourself from R&D tax credits. There is no longer any reason other than holding vehicles and avoiding P11D benefit mm-hmm. uh, to really have. Uh, so that's something that anyone should action. Um, one of the one of the um, things we probably ought to mention um, for completeness is um, if, for instance, a subsidiary company. Let's um, be interesting about this. See what you think would happen here. Say we've got a subsidiary company. And it makes a profit of half a million pounds, mm-hmm. and it pays a dividend. Mm-hmm. But it pays all of that to its parent company. What 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 do you think the tax? What what do you think the tax consequences of that are? Of the, 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 where you've got to pay so the parent companies, the parent companies now received half a million pounds of dividends. 
half a million dividends. Yeah, so it's whatever the, the taxes of the dividend um, that you you got, which is five percent. Well, that's a, that's for a person, isn't it? Oh right, okay. So it's different if you're paying that to a company. I, yeah, I didn't realize that. I did. I did. I, 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 I an unfair question, but. <laughs> I think I think it proves the point though because I suspect that most people listening to this wouldn't know the answer either. So that's mm-hmm. why I asked you. Um, It'd be profit going into that. So, so actually, the situation is let's so let's let's go back. So that in, in my little example, the subsidiary had made a taxable profit of half a million pounds. Mm-hmm. I then said, so what happens if it pays all of that over to its parent? Okay. So so actually, um, dividends between group companies are not taxable. Oh, okay. So if, if you think about this logically, so what actually happens is, is if a taxable profit in subsidiary is half a million pounds, the subsidiary would pay £95,000 corporation tax. If it then pays £1 or £500,000 of dividends, it doesn't affect the tax at all. Mm. Uh, in the holding company, equally, because the parent the subsidiary company has paid the corporation tax, it receives the dividends free from tax. Mm. Okay. Cool. So, so this, yeah, they obviously still have to pay the tax on that, like at the start. So, um, oh, the other thing, they're, sorry, they're, sorry, good drove to us, but you know, obviously, one of the things I got better off with our podcast is I want to try and make sure I don't leave anything on locker room, as I call it. <laughs> so, um, one of the implications of having a tax group, apart from the positive things, there could also be a negative one, insofar as um, uh, effectively, uh, there's a. There's a there's a rate there's a rate of profit at which oh it's gone now sorry I've just I just realised I was about to say something which is which has uh, become historically redundant so oh. I just got to correct myself so to avoid myself saying something that I was like, what an idiot he's supposed to be an expert and he just said something which is completely wrong so it used to be it used to I think you edit this bit out Drew yeah was, okay that's all right <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah oh well I think we've we've covered many many things in this episode about structures there's probably more and we can come back to it uh, another another time if we've missed anything well lots but, of other types of entity we haven't talked about today you know like limited guarantee companies LLCs mm. this sort of thing so you know when I looked at Drew's suggested topics I thought oh my god this <laughs> is this is an enormous but I think um, we've done a decent job of covering the main points yeah group and parent subsidiary that was that's a you know a, a quite a common structure that you would have so probably relevant to the listeners um and yeah come and talk to us if you want any any advice about your structure um mm. and and the way to set things up more efficiently for you okay um so um to, today uh we've been playing some, sort of some quite interesting stuff mostly sort of folky and interesting rock stuff um just recently um i'm a bit of a stuck in the past probably you know i get accused of that um, I particularly like, apart from the 80s, which I get accused of liking a lot, which I think is a bit unfair, <laughs> uh, huge fan of 60s music. Mm. Um, and actually, there were a substantial number of bands uh, that people, you know, become sort of, you know, come back gone out of fashion or no longer talked about. Um, and the music stands up extremely well. One of the bands uh, I've been listening to quite a lot recently is, is, is a, an American band. I think they're Californian. I'm not, I'm not certain of that. Um, that had a number of big hits in the sixties called the Turtles, mm. um, and I, you know, and I think I'm, I'm, to be fair, I'm not even sure. I mean, when I when I when I put them onto Google, and I saw their discography, you know, I thought, gosh, you know, I was I was stunned because if you'd said to me, you know, Turtles, I would have gone. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then when you see the songs they've written, you know you've got yeah. You tell songs. me about the song, and then when I heard it, I was like, I know it's, this. It's <laughs> so um, one of the things which is big in Aspen Weight World at the moment is um, we've created the concept of happy business and happy IP. IP, of course, being intellectual property. And so uh, probably the biggest hit the Turtles had worldwide was uh, a song called Happy Together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought um, when I was sitting on the train or something thinking about this week's song, I thought. That seemed to be that seemed to be a nice and appropriate song to play. Perfect. So I, I think this is a, a really lovely piece of music, really cheery. Mm. So uh, we're going to leave you all cheered up, listening to a great band called the Turtles. Uh, check out some of their other stuff, especially Eleanor, etc. Is a really good song. Um, and I'll hand you over to my good friend, Mr. Armstrong. Ah, thank you, Paul, and thank you, listeners. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode, and we will catch you next time. 
Imagine me and you, I do. I think about you day and night. It's only right to think about the girl you love and hold her tight. So happy together. If I should call you up, invest a dime, and you say you belong to me, ease my mind. Imagine how the world could be. So very fine, so happy together. Toss the dice. It had to be the only one for me is you and you for me. So happy together. The dice. It had to be the only one for me is you and you for me. So happy together. <laughs> Toss the dice. It had to be the only one for me is you and you for me. So happy together. So happy together. And how is the weather?